You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Welcome back, Bruce. Did you have a nice day off? Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, not, nothing really exciting, you know, family and then worked on some other side projects I've been working on. Classed up 90 hours last night uh, in this software that I'm using. 90 hours. You work 90 hours in a day? Not in a day. No, no. Overall. I must meet your assistant. How are you doing that? Uh, yeah. So I've I've uh, made advancements in uh, time travel technology and, you know, yeah. Is this that graphic stuff we were talking about the other day? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've used that and I'm using, I'm getting it to a plasma state and then using the, the fusion reactor to trigger a um, time portal. I don't know. Uh-huh. Do, do you have your own Stargate too? Is, is that, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you could manipulate time, that would stand to reason you probably would have the technology to do teleportation or, or you know, wormhole in the case of Stargate. You know, I, I remember one scene from that show. I, I was never a fan of it, but I remember one scene from that show. And you know how you're on a driving range and you're driving golf balls, right? Well, this guy was just mm-hmm. teeing up golf balls, just driving through. <laughs> Someone came in to ask him a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good test of the, the system. But uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got a lot to discuss today. We took the day off yesterday because Bruce had some things to do. And be quite honest with you, I was I was busy all day yesterday. And I didn't have podcast work to do, but I was still pulling things and I was still going over some some stuff and, and researching some things and it, it, sh- it never ends. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. Let's talk about Senator Rand Paul. We played some clips of him last week questioning Dr. Fauci, the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci. We got some audio of him today uh, and there's been some more developments on uh, the origins of, of COVID. And it's quite interesting where this is starting to go. And I also heard this morning, speaking on that just real quick, before, but I know we're going to get into it later. I also heard this morning, it's interesting what is being listed on the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They have removed all of the, and this is reported by uh, the people over at National Pulse, Raheem Kassam and Natalie Winters. They do great work. Uh, all of the names of the American counterparts to their, their colleagues in Wuhan at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, all of the American counterparts have been removed, even all of the uh, the institutions, the National Institute of Health and Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that was removed. But there's only one thing that remains, EcoHealth Alliance. It's the only mm. association they have. Well, try as they may, they're not going to be able to, to uh, get rid of the paper trail no. uh, w- w- with, uh, w- with them because they, they sent the grants. Yep. They, they sent the money. So... And- and Francis the Collins, the NIH, the NIH, yeah, and Francis Collins himself penned the letter that's on their own website that says, "Yeah, we lifted that pause on that gain of function research. Yeah, we did that. I did that." So I mean, just, technically, they could sweep all that under the rug. Technically, being government and just have the government officials, because they have control of those documents. What grant? So, yeah, exactly. So technically, they could. But there's uh, there's enough of a paper trail from like podcasts like our own mm-hmm. um, 
the information's out there. And if they were to do that, I, I think it would... Uh, actually, no, I don't think it would trigger anything. Well, you have what, some people strongly we'll talk about, worded, but that, that's all it would. Yeah, we'll talk about that shortly. I want to start off here with Rand Paul because this is a this is a big one. Rand Paul was grilling Fauci last week, and lo and behold, he got a mysterious package that was sent to him, along with Karen Fan of the uh, the state legislature in uh, in Arizona, who's overseeing that audit down there. Uh, she got a similar package. Uh, I'd be interested to know, and I'm sure that the FBI is all over that, trying to figure out who sent that one. Uh, Senator Rand Paul responds to a vile death threat. A package of white powder was sent to his home. I'm feeling the remnants of the anthrax scare from Congress back in the yeah. day. Uh, for those that don't remember, as a matter of fact, this book right here that I'm holding up, uh, which obviously you as the listener can't see, but Bruce can see it, uh, Biowarfare and Terrorism. This is the actual copy of the letter right here on the front. Uh, and this was sent to Senator Tom Daschle, and it was sent to the offices up on the Hill. Uh, now, what was interesting about this letter was it contained some white powder. But what they actually did with that white powder was actually anthrax, by the way. And what they did with it, they gave it an anti-static charge. It's lined out in this in this book right here, Biowarfare and Terrorism by Dr. Francis A. Boyle. He wrote the Biological Weapons Convention that is still in effect today that outlaws the manufacturing and development of biological weapons, which all countries signed on to, by the way. Uh, so I'm wondering if they've done a certain a similar thing here. However, if it was real anthrax, then they probably wouldn't be there. Uh, that would be my guess. Yeah, because that more stuff likely, will kill you. It'll kill you dead in a hammer. Well, yeah, more than likely, what that was uh, is probably powdered sugar or flour or something mm -hmm. like that, and they were just, just playing warning. off of that fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it could have been it just a warning, or it could have been just uh, um, trying to. Um, I mean, the person may have no actual intention to to harm them. It's just a uh, bragging rights. It's, uh, you know, or, or just to scare uh, Rand Paul and, mm -hmm. and his wife. Well, Rand has and I'm looking at the picture that was in there. Uh, it was uh, it's it's Senator Paul uh, on crutches in a neck brace and arm cast with a looks like a, a makeshift assault rifle pointed at his head. Uh, and it says, I'll finish what your neighbor started, you mother effer. That's what was sent to him. Uh, apparently, that's the vulgar picture. The FBI has opened an investigation after Senator Rand Paul was sent a suspicious package containing white powder as well as a vile death threat. Yeah, the Daily Mail posted that, that photo, so that's where we're getting that. Politico reported that a large envelope containing the unknown substance is being examined, while Fox News reported that on the front of the envelope, there was a picture of Paul bandaged up with a gun pointed at his head with the words off. Yeah, well, I just I just said it. So the threat is a reference to Paul's brutal assault in 2017 at the hands of his neighbor, causing him to suffer serious injuries. I think he even had a punctured lung and a couple of broken ribs as well. Something like that. Yeah, it was over something really stupid, too, by the way. Neighbor probably doesn't like his politics. Oh, yeah. And they yeah, was... and Paul being the man that he is. I honestly think he swept what actually happened under the rug. I think it was politically motivated personally. And Rand was just like, oh, no, it was some, it was it was over mowing stuff. It, it was clearly my fault. Uh, I, I think he was taking the fall to keep the guy from getting any kind of you know. still. I mean, come on. You know, you go out there and you you beat up a, a sitting senator. I don't care who it is and I don't care what their politics are. You don't do that. that no. what, what kind of behavior is that in, in a in a society? You don't you don't do that. You don't tolerate that. So I, I don't care what your politics are. You're a senator. You're, you hold public office. 
you have a problem with him, you take it up with him in a political manner. You don't do that. Neighbor or no neighbor. The fact that he was a sitting senator makes it even worse. Yep. And that's why the punishment should be all that much more harsh. But Paul responded to the threat of the letter saying that he takes it incredibly seriously. He should. Do you remember what that mob was trying to do to him and his wife? Mm -hmm. the, the Antifa mob out there in the streets? I mean, they, they almost killed him. If there hadn't been a police escort, they probably would have. That was honestly that that whole scenario should have never have happened. No, his no, it security details should have never allowed them to do that, knowing full well this this was going on. It, nah, that was that it, was a uh, yeah, it was it was horrible. But uh, the police that were actually with him, do you see what he did during that time? It was really quick, but uh, he did do it. The cop mm -hmm. got hit with like a, a club or something or a baseball bat or whatever it was. The cop goes down. Paul turns around, picks the cop up. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, I think any other senator, can you imagine if that was Jerry Nadler? Oh, my God. He would have ran. He, he would have kept on running. He, he wouldn't have helped the poor cop up that was trying to protect him. I, I don't know that he could have, though, because those he pants, run. he has them yeah, so high. It's all the way up to underneath of his chest. <laughs> yeah. Did he did he actually do, have we confirmed that he actually in his pants that day? Uh, at the there, there, um, there's audio that he says he did actually. Oops. Really? Pants, so, yeah. OK. All right. Yeah. Uh, I often wonder because usually you don't make a face like that. So anyway, uh, Paul went on to say he takes the threats uh, immensely seriously. As a reported target of violence, it is reprehensible that Twitter allows C-list celebrities to encourage violence against me and my family. I want to know who the celebrity is, but that's part of the. I love that. That's part of the investigation. Oh, we, we know who the celebrity was, I believe. Do we? I think so. I think it was uh, Richard Marks. Richard, this, is that who it was? Okay, so you were, I, I'm sorry, uh, I was yeah. distracted while you were saying that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was It was Richard Marks. Uh, that's what another article was saying. But I love what he did there, uh, what Rand Paul in his response. At the same time of him saying, I'm not going to back down, he gives a little jab in there and says, C-list celebrity. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, oh, I anyway. see here, he tweets. Yeah, yeah, Richard Marks, he tweets. He says, I'll say it again. If I ever meet Rand Paul's neighbor, I'm going to hug him and buy him as many drinks as he can consume. It, now, it, it could be uh, I, I could be getting in this uh, uh, misreading what the article is saying. They could have been saying uh, this is what he had received the letter and everything and then jumped to, hey, these are other celebrities that are doing it. So it, it, it you know, could be just the way it was worded. But um, oh, OK, no, no, no. It was the wording that Paul did right after he said. It's reprehensible that Twitter allows C-list celebrities to encourage violence against me and my family. Just this weekend, Richard Marks called for violence against me, and now we received the powder-filled letter. So he was making the, the, the link between the two. Now, it, it may not have been mm -hmm. Richard Marks, but Richard Marks was saying stuff against him. Well, if I were an investigator on that case, I would say that my suspect list would prime start suspect. right there. Yeah, yeah. It'd be the prime suspect. And yeah. Just saying. Okay, well, yeah. nothing could be, and I, and I, honestly, I, I hope that uh, I hope that Rand Paul, uh, I hope he remains as safe as humanly possible. We all know what the unhinged loonies out there are doing. But speaking of unhinged loonies, nothing compares to the outright. <laughs> Going to try and do this. Nothing compares to the outright trauma. No, nothing compares to the trauma and the pain and the suffering as much as what happened on January sixth to those individuals who were not in the Capitol building at the time of the riot. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says that she's effectively served in war after the Capitol riot. She's now comparing herself to a battlefield uh, war veteran. Uh, and she's claimed that uh, Congress persons have now effectively served in war 
and that she is doing therapy because of her experience on January 6th. I hope her Twitter posts, like the responses, looks like a war zone. I, I hope it looks, uh, it, figuratively speaking, I hope it looks like a bunch of, you know, you know the, the, the paper sack with dog turds in it on fire. I hope that's what her Twitter posts look like with you know, the responses. I heard somebody make this comparison last week. They said, you know what, she is not, she's not even a congresswoman. She's more of just a, an Instagram influencer. That's all she is. That's all she is. That just happens to hold a, a podium in the halls of Congress. If she wasn't an elected member of Congress, which Nancy Pelosi herself, you know, far be it for me to agree with Nancy Pelosi, but she's right on this. The district that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes from, you can put a D next to a bottle of water and it'll get elected. So, I mean, you know, it kind of stands to reason that anybody that runs there with a D next to their name will get elected. Just saying. That's not my words. That's Speaker Nancy Pelosi's words. But Cortez, while speaking to Latin USA, she spoke at length about her experience at the Capitol building on January 6th. By the way, she wasn't even there. Not in the same building anyway. She was on campus, but she wasn't in the same building. She claimed that congresspersons have now effectively served in war. She claimed that the riot was an all-out attempted coup and that the United States was on the brink of having a martial state. She continued, There are also certain mythologies that are very important to maintaining white supremacy. White supremacy in and of itself is a mythology, and you have to protect it in order to protect that political power, which has now become a very important base in the Republican Party. And that's why so that what's response the mythology? was so... What's that? So what's the mythology? What white she supremacy says is multiple- mythology. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that but is. She the says myth- there's multiple mythologies in the mythology to make the mythology the white supremacy. Uh, it, it makes it's no about, sense. It's about protecting said. the political power. I'm, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. And that's why that response was so vociferous. And to make it seem that it wasn't as bad as it was, and it was bad, lady, you weren't even in the building. You were hiding in the toilet on the other side of the campus. And when a police officer came in to say, we need to move you out of here. By the way, everyone out in the hall was drinking coffee. I I mean, you you saw those videos of her walking out. I mean, all of them just they weren't even running. They were just standing there drinking their coffee. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. The the, one of the intersections that she would have came to uh, in the tunnels, it it was just people were just normally walking. Nobody was rushing around. It wasn't chaotic. It was just, you know, look like normal uh, foot traffic. Uh, This woman's an abject fraud uh, through and through. After the riot, Ocasio-Cortez was heavily chastised for misrepresenting her whereabouts on January 6th. Of course, like I said, she was hiding in the toilet (laughs) all all the way on the other side of the campus. Like uh, Mm. There was nothing going on where she was at. Nothing. Cortez had previously claimed that the rioters had made it to her office yelling, where is she? Which, yeah, she said that in her Instagram video. She further claimed that she thought she was going to die during the riot and that the Republican senators, such as Ted Cruz, were complicit in the alleged attempt on her life. And we played a little bit of that uh, clip that uh, the next day that Rashida Tlaib, represented Tlaib, she was up there at the podium. <laughs> Cortez was there consoling her. And GP told me that went on for like 90 minutes. I mean, we played like a couple of minutes of it. I couldn't handle any more of it. She's up there crying through her mask or whatever the hell it was. And she wasn't even there either. Hell, she wasn't even on the campus. She was all the way back in her district. How many of the American people do you think actually knew that or took the time to research it? To well, at it the up? time. Or did they the just time. take it at the first face value? No, everything's on impulse, right? It's that shock value. Yeah. It, everything's on perception now. So like uh, everybody's view has been altered to, to perceive things as they are rather than stop 
analyze, work out your your opinion, and then make your decision. Evaluate what you need to, and then and then make your choice on on what you're going to think going forward. People don't do that. That's why we don't live in the world of people actually reading down and getting into like uh, the the meat and potatoes of of like articles. You know what I mean? So they're not drilling down into topics. They're just looking at the the headlines. I think GP even made this point one time, and I know you've made it here before too. Is People are reading the headlines. The headlines are what sell. That's the barn burner. People look at the headlines and they move on. Do I want to read that? Oh, I don't know. And then they'll move on. Or they'll look at it. They'll read the first, I don't know, paragraph or whatever it is. And then they'll move on. It's the attention span. The attention span's not there. So we know what kind of supporter she's got. Very low attention span. Yeah. So Cortez went on to say that she also blamed social media as well for her increased isolation, depression, anxiety, addiction, and escapism. That's a long list. I just want to go over that again. She's blaming social media as well for her increased isolation, depression, anxiety, addiction, and escapism. Okay. Okay. So she lists, what, four or five victimhoods there. Okay. <laughs> Increased um, isolation. Okay, you're doing it to yourself first. Of isolation. All. Depression. Yeah. Depression. Isolation what, what would you, be COVID. Uh, right. Uh, depression. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your your mm-hmm. life's been altered, but that hasn't changed. Why is she depressed? She's still able to the, go to work. She's still getting a paycheck. Yeah, but I, I would argue that feminists and the 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 mindset that she is triggers depression because True. they. They look for the victimhood, the victim mentality, the, the what, what am I a victim of? What can I be a victim of? Instead of counting your blessings, uh, as the phrase goes, instead of being thankful in what you have and where you are, you're supposed to look for the bad to try to, to exploit it. True. Anxiety. Okay, this would play along into what you just said. Depression and anxiety go hand in hand like peas and carrots. Yeah. Yep. So anxiety, uh, I saw a poll and I forget who put it out, but it was like two thirds of women who identify as liberal, which clearly she identifies as a socialist. But those who those women who identify as liberal or the, the feminist type, as you're talking about, tend to have mental health problems or anxiety issues, severe anxiety issues. And this would play into that. This this would certainly play into that addiction. Yeah. What kind of addiction problem has she had? Is it a clinical diagnosis? Same thing with the depression and anxiety. Is it a clinical diagnosis? What are you addicted to? Are you addicted to antidepressants? Are you addicted to serotonin reuptake inhibitors? If you are, then my question is, if you're on some type of medication, does that alter your ability to govern effectively and legislate effectively? Because if it does, then you need to be taking a leave of absence, ma'am. Yeah. And the other question I have is, um, as well, what is she referencing there when she's saying addiction? Because it can be something as simple and minor as, well, I, I like anime or I like video games or I like, which I actually, I do like video games, but anime is one that I, I, I have difficulty getting into. True. But a lot of people you, you have, Netflix. It, yeah, and they have Netflix addictions, yeah. binge watching, all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it could easily be something like that, or it could be something more like alcohol or you know, some drug or something. Uh, it could be something like that. Or so I, well, I don't if know what she's an referencing problem. there. Yeah, if it's an alcohol problem, then there's not much we can do with that. I mean, hell, Ted Kennedy sat up there for all those years. I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. So still have Nancy Pelosi. So (laughs) she sounds like she has a fifth of Jack before she goes on camera, doesn't she? She really does all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Something about that liquor just kind of I think it kind of it it acts as a solvent towards the uh, the polydent. (laughs) Yeah, it must. Yeah. Break it down. Yeah. Escapism. What the hell's escapism? 
I've never even heard that term before. What's escapism? So escapism is basically you watch television or movies or play video games or whatnot to take a break from reality. That's escapism. Okay. okay. All right. I didn't realize we actually had an ism classification for that. So that's yeah. a new one on me. All right. I don't understand why that's classified anything because humans need a uh, escape. They need that detachment from the the stresses and the uh, you know the, the the hardships and you need a, a separation from that. I mean, we find it in all kinds of things to cope with hard times. So it's it's a normal coping mechanism. I don't understand why we have a name for it. it, it yeah, diagnosis. Well, it gives people like her an excuse to have an excuse like that. <laughs> so she yeah. went on to say. I actually think that social media poses a public health risk to everybody, and there are amplified impacts for young people, particularly children under the age of three with screen time. But I think it has a lot of effects on older people. I think it has effects on everybody. Increased isolation, depression, anxiety, addiction, and escapism. Okay, I, I, I'm not I'm not really going to disagree with her here on this one. I'm really not. Hear me out on this one. There's been multiple uh, studies that I've looked at over the last few years from medical researchers, university studies and things like that, talking about screen time and what it does to people. It actually lowers your attention span. It, it does make you feel more depressed. It puts you into like that, that depressive state. The same thing with social media that she's talking about. Depends, though. It depends on what you're talking about with screen time. Because if you're talking about screen time and you're like reading a book or you're doing something educational. Fair. That, fair. that doesn't decrease it. Correct. But when she's coupling it here with social media, that does cause a person to become depressed. In fact, the people that came up with this whole idea, this whole concept of like uh, social media to begin with, the, the whole Facebook concept, they didn't design it to make you happy. They designed it to depress you. That's what it was designed to do. I know people that have left Facebook in the last, I don't know, few months because they say it's just so morbid on there. It's so depressing that they just don't want to see it anymore. So I, I'm not I'm not going to disagree with her on this. I'm really not. I'm not being facetious or something like that. She says, I actually think that social media poses a public health risk to everybody. I agree with that. I agree with that. I've been adamantly against social media for years. Anybody that's been listening to us for an extended period of time knows that. So I'm not going to disagree with her on that. I think it poses a very serious public health risk. It has altered our perception of reality. It's changed the way people behave towards one another and not for the better. I, I agree with the, the sentiment, but here's my problem. This is AOC that's coming out and saying it. What's your grift? Yeah. When we have a influencer like this that's supposedly supposed to be a politician coming out and saying the very platforms that she's on and exploiting is the problem with society and you're a politician, are you going to come out and say, well, we have to regulate this, we have to better control it? What what exactly are you going to gain out of this? Like, what what's your intention? So I, I'm very skeptical of, of Fair. her specifically coming out and saying it. Fair. But I, I agree with her on the point that social media has yeah. caused a, a problem with public health in society. I'm not going to disagree with that. Although her ulterior motive, absolutely, I, I agree with you on that. So I, I agree on both ends of that. She went on to say, and she expanded on the impact on her life on January 6th, excuse me, the riot of January 6th, by saying the cycle has just been moved on, but it has deeply, deeply affected lawmaking, policymaking. It has impacted the actual legislative process, the aftermath of it, and it's very quiet. It's not spoken about. Huh. 
How has it affected the legislative process? What you've you've erected fences that yeah and barricades and think what that's if I you you should be more safe than you were before. You can't. By the way, you can't actually do that. You don't own those buildings. We the people do. You can't actually do that. You can't prevent tax-paying American citizens from going into those buildings. You can't actually do that, but they're just doing it. And by the way, it's all a show anyway. The National Guard troops that you had stationed around there, they weren't even armed. It was all a show. They didn't even have magazines in their guns. Hell, Nancy Pelosi wanted to put 50 cal machine gun nests around the whole damn Capitol building and keep them there indefinitely. By the way, they just sent all those guard troops home. As of this morning, the wall is still up, but I'm sure at some point it'll be coming down, I would think, because you don't actually have guard troops there anymore. But isn't uh, I'm pretty sure there's like 1500 guard troops that are stationed in D.C. always. So always. Yeah. But well, they're they're there, but they're not actually deployed. They have to be deployed by the DOD, I think, I think. To, to serve there. It's, the mayor can request them. I think that's kind of like what they did here. The mayor can request them to the Pentagon at the DOD, and then they have to deploy them. Like, I think that's the only way yeah. because DC is not a state, so you can't actually do that. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I believe that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Again, she continues on. She says, I think after the sixth, now this is where she really gets into it. She says, I think after the sixth, I took some time and it was really Ayanna Presley. Uh-huh. When I explained to her what had happened to me like the day of, because I ran to her office. And she was like, you need to recognize trauma and that this is something that you went through, but we're all going through it. Snowflake. Just that's, that's all I can come up with is snowflake. That you, seriously? Like some of us have dealt with trauma that's worse than that over years from past experiences. And you had one little riot that happened, quote unquote, right, riot, that happened eight blocks away. And... This is this is what Rand Paul is sending, getting mail regularly gets death threats and he doubles down and says, I ain't changing. In fact, his wife goes, hey, we got guns. Bring with, it with possible anthrax in it. By the yeah. Way. Yeah. And AOC's complaining about a protest in front like uh, where where law enforcement let in the protesters into the building. Bring on the commission. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Bring on the commission. You want some more egg on your faces? Go ahead. Anytime you have a chance for patriotic Americans to stand up and adjudicate themselves, you always lose every time. So bring on the commission. Bring it on. Let's hear it. Dish out what you got. It's just more political theater. It's just a distraction. That's all it is. It's just like Trump, Russia, Trump, Russia, Trump, porn star, Trump, uh, urine tapes or whatever in the hell it was. It's just another distraction. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. So she says that social media is a problem. And as, as I said, I don't disagree with her on that. I am skeptical of the, the motive behind it, as you said, but I'm... I, 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 I think it's the greater message that w- we have to regulate it. it it's Facebook and, and whatnot coming out mm-hmm. and saying, please regulate us. But do they really need to? That's the thing. Do they really need to? I don't think they do either because the companies are pretty much regulating themselves. And if they're picking political sides, well, they've pretty much made their intentions clear at this point, haven't they? As to which side they're going to be on or which side they are on, rather. Technically, even if the companies weren't regulating themselves, technically, as long as they weren't breaking the law, there's no regulation that needs to be put in place. I mean... Technically speaking, society should be the one that that regulates things. If you don't like social media, stop using social media. 
You know, keep your kids off of it, for example. Don't use it yourself. There's things that we could do as a society to fix these problems without having government step in. But that requires you to step up and do something. That's why we want to rely on government to do it, because lazy Americans. That, and I also think that these, like Section 230, for example, that's essentially the same thing as liability protection that the pharmaceutical companies get. Essentially, it's the same thing. We're putting in people that are wholly owned by these corporations. They pay for their campaign money because for whatever reason, back in the 90s, the Supreme Court ruled that corporations are people. I haven't quite figured that one out yet. But they get bought off by these corporations. The corporations then turn around and hire lobbyists, which is nothing more than a gangster with a briefcase for anybody that doesn't know what a lobbyist is. They come in, they draft legislation that's been written by the corporation. They'll turn around, get someone in the House or the Senate for, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand in campaign contributions or a donation to their favorite charity in their name, tax exempt. They'll get them to sponsor the bill, get someone to co-sponsor it, run it around, pay them 50 grand each in contribution money. And voila, you have a bill that no one has read and that will give them liability protection. Do you know, before Ronald Reagan, the big pharma companies, the vaccine makers especially, they went to Congress and they were sitting in the in the halls of Congress. They were sitting before the uh, uh, the panels there in the House and the Senate. And they said, we need liability protection because people are suing us. And we're not going to be able to continue to manufacture vaccines if we get sued out of business. We can't keep making these payouts. And so what did the government do? They said, "Okay, we'll give you liability protection. So the government then took it upon themselves to do liability payouts if they have to, if they get a class action lawsuit filed against them. Who's going to file a class action lawsuit against the federal government? It's going to take you years to get through that. And you have to go through all that red tape. You have to get all the people on board with it if everybody has a common problem, if there's a big enough problem. And then the government pays out, what, $3 billion? Total? It's a joke. Yeah, enough enough for you to get like $3. Yeah, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Yeah. Remove the protections and sue these bastards out of existence. That'll fix your problem. I, I, yeah. I argue the same thing with the pharmaceuticals. Make a better product. It's simple as that. If you can't make a better product, bye-bye. Quite honestly, if we didn't have liability protection, we didn't have Section 230, we wouldn't be in this mess right now, I don't think. Well, we might be in, we might be in this mess, but it wouldn't be nearly as bad as what it is right now. We would be in this mess, but in a different way. Yes. It wouldn't be yeah. the, the tech oligarchs that have power. Or the pharma companies with COVID. Or the pharma companies, yeah. Well, uh, honestly, just having the government come in, th- there's another element to this that really bugs me with lobbyists. So you have these corporations that are getting... Uh, cuts and bonuses, benefits, all that kind of stuff from the government coming in and lobbying these politicians. Politicians are not supposed to have an income other than when, when it comes to government funding, other than their salary. They can't receive any other money from the government except for their salary. You're getting uh, subsidies, tax cuts, all kinds of stuff in these corporations that are then sending them money. That's technically government funding because the money came from the government. So it's in in effect violating that constitutional amendment. But I mean, Fauci. Yeah. Yeah. Fauci is a good example. You especially should not have be able to have investments in pharmaceuticals and then have the government come in and spend billions of dollars on pharmaceutical companies. Your stocks skyrocket. You make a ton of money. Well, no, that that's a violation. And he's the highest paid federal employee in the U.S. Uh, across every branch of everything. He, he makes more money than the president of the United States with a presidential salary. Yep. And it, honestly, the, the lobbyists and 
The other reason I have problems with lobbyists is, uh, first, I think it's bribery. But second, you have the politicians that are in office. Once they get out of office, they go and work for the corporations that were lobbying for them. And then they get paid by the corporation that way and become a lobbyist themselves. And it's just a, a constant circle jerk. They just keep going around like that. Or... If you're really lucky, you can be a contributor on CNN <laughs> or yeah. MSNBC. Anyway, all right. Uh, do you want to get into COVID stuff or do you want to talk about what Project Veritas did or do you want to save Veritas for tomorrow? Because it's uh, that's quite extensive. Whichever one we, we have time for. I mean, because the only um, thing I really have on COVID is that um, uh, I, I got some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I got some stuff on Fauci and then I got some I got some audio from like CNN and all the rest of it uh, and things like that. I mean, I, we, we can we can talk that. But before what, before, what was the what was the Veritas thing? Uh, Just so they I'm had aware. Facebook insiders come to them and mm -hmm. say uh, they talked about how the company behind the scenes has their own. Essentially, what it sounded like to me was like a social credit score, but it was for mm -hmm. people's posts. They would create the algorithms. The algorithms would then go in, see somebody that would post something negative about vaccines in any form, and they would pull the post automatically. It'd get flagged. Um, uh, honestly, that uh, I think that has my vote going that talking about that one because we were just talking about social media yeah, okay. and the, yeah, okay. that kind of thing. So it yeah, kind of okay. ties in. So Project Veritas uh, releases an internal Facebook document that details a campaign to censor vaccine concerns on a platform. So see, they're already censoring. They're, they're already doing that. So I, I think they're they're doing this themselves. And they're doing it in favor of the, the political agenda, if you want to call it that, of the radicals, the, the radical extremists in Congress and, and in government, period. And by the way, uh, James O'Keefe over there, I mean, that's real journalism. That That is real journalism. They do fantastic work over there. And, and those people, I think he's been banned off just about everything by now, except yeah. for... I think he's on par. He's on parlor. He's on Gab. He's on Telegram. The alternatives, uh, and I do follow him on uh, on one of those platforms. Uh, but they they do fantastic work. Project Veritas. They have a verified Telegram channel. If you're on Telegram, check them out. We also post some stuff in our channel from them. Everything that they put up, we usually uh, we usually forward it over to our channel. So uh, you know you can click on it there and you can give it a watch. Two of the Facebook insiders have come forward with the leaked company documents detailing the big tech giants' plan to curb and police vaccine hesitancy worldwide through serendipitous comment demotion. Honestly, this sounds like on the surface, it sounds like the shadow banning that we, we, we've seen with others. Uh, basically, you post something that they don't like and you get swept under the rug. Marty's talked about it as well. Some of his posts get uh, hundreds of views and then he posts something else that's contrary to the, to the, the um, mainstream narrative and it, it doesn't see the light of day. It makes sense that they, they have some kind of algorithm or whatnot doing this uh, kind of a thing. So they probably are entering just basic keywords and, and certain structures, you know. Um, yeah. So one of the insiders said this to uh, to James O'Keefe on the interview. And I mean, I can play the audio if you want, but it's really like they had to obviously for security reasons, they had to change it and they had, they had to use a voice changer and they had to speed it up. So it's kind of difficult to, to kind of follow it. But I'll, I'll just they, they put his quotes here. So I'm just going to read these. They say they're trying to control this content before it even makes it onto your page before you even see it. If I lose my job, it's like, what do I do? But that's less of a concern to me. So the stated goal of the global feature is to reduce user exposure to vaccine hesitancy comments. So another aim of this program is to decrease other engagement of vaccine hesitancy comments, including create 
likes, reports, and replies. One of the Facebook whistleblowers said the company uses a tier system to rank and determine how comments should be censored or buried. This is all based on how much the statements question or caution against the COVID-19 vaccination. This is not a vaccination. Tier two, for example, represents indirect discouragement of getting vaccinated. User comments such as these would be suppressed. Comments that include shocking stories that describe what could be true events or facts that can raise safety concerns are demoted. So if you put something up, and maybe we should explain what some of these would be, at least from our standpoint. So if somebody in this example, if somebody would put something up of, I don't know, an adverse reaction that someone had, or they posted a picture of someone that broke out in this horrible rash all over their body, or they had uh, uncontrollable seizures after they were vaccinated, or they fell over, hell, fell over dead, then that is- happened to be the- or they happen to be the first to be vaccinated that died of a stroke. Yeah. Yes, that uh, the first COVID-19 vaccine recipient just died of a stroke last week. Yep, Thursday. Right around six months, which is about, yeah. Anyway, uh, so this would, for example, be a tier two. So if you were to post up something of someone else or whatever, then then that's what that would be. Any of the such that raises concern about the coronavirus vaccinations are fair game to be demoted and hidden, according to the source, despite authenticity or capacity to contribute to the public good. He went on to say, I have to do something. You know, I I have to um, I have to commend these people that come forward from these companies because I see more bravery coming from these people than I do anybody that you see in the mainstream of politics or the media. Me personally, I couldn't live with myself. If I were in public office and I were told that I had to withhold information from the public, from my constituency for, um, oh, we don't want to incite panic. You are the panic, you people in government. By keeping the information suppressed, by not being transparent, which you champion all the time, transparency and democracy, transparency and democracy. You don't know the meaning of either one of them. You're inciting the fear and the hysteria and the conspiracy theories by not leveling with the people that you are voted to represent. It doesn't matter if the comments are true, factual, or represent reality. The comment is demoted, buried, and hidden from the public view if it clashes with the system. It doesn't match the narrative, one of the sources explained. The narrative being, get the vaccine, the vaccine is good for you, everyone should get it, and if you don't, you will be singled out. It's the Borg. We were were seeing, yeah, you will assimilate, yeah. Uh, You will be assimilated. Um, It's the same tactic we were seeing with, like, for example, the um, uh, Hunter Biden laptop. It's kind of the same concept where the stuff, it, it, the, the, the big um, large scale cases we've seen recently, instances of this happening, uh, they're just doing it on a artificial intelligence algorithmic level and they're doing it across the board. So no longer is it, um, you know, just election fraud. You can't say that or you'll get banned off of YouTube, for example. Now it's uh, a vaccine hesitancy, which we've talked about this like. The, it's a cult. There's I'm so sorry. much. I, I'm sorry. It, it, yeah, it, it's a cult. It is where. And the, the question is, is where do they draw the line? Where Where is this going? When are, when are they going to stop doing this kind of nonsense? You know what? What? Um, well, obviously, the, the answer to that question is they won't. Um, they won't. It, this isn't going to stop. This is going to continue and it's going to continue into other areas. You know, it's not going to be just covid now or or health in general. Uh, or pharmaceuticals, it's going to be any idea that opposes the collective, the Borg hive mind. It's a cult. Yeah, you're you're to be exiled. It's a cult. 
You're shunned. You don't belong. And I I would be concerned with not only are you exiled, but you're sent to the gulag. Re-education camp. I, I honestly believe that's probably one of the next things they have on the board is if you don't uh, abide by whatever the, the mainstream pushes... Well, you clearly you're a racist and a white supremacist. So we have to <laughs> we have to re-educate you. Yes. We have to learn the errors of our ways, comrade. Of course. Boy, China's going for broke on this one, aren't they? One of the insiders, a data center technician, showed documentation detailing you'll find this interesting, Bruce. Showed documentation detailing an algorithm test being run on one point five percent of Facebook and Instagram's almost three point eight billion users worldwide. They're trying to control this content before it even and makes it onto your page before you even see it. A 1.5% of Facebook and Instagram's 3.8 billion users worldwide, that's all they're using. And this is not concerning. So they're they're just running this experiment on a, a fraction of the users? Is, yep. that, is that what's being... Uh-huh. Okay, so... 1.5% um, of their total so users. So we, we see this uh, with, um, for example, China using their social credit system. Mm-hmm. Social credit isn't available in the entire country yet. It's only the major cities. They and have to test it. They have to make sure it yeah. works right. Yeah. And this is this is the case, though. Whenever you roll out a beta, uh, if you're a video gamer and uh, you've played like online games or whatnot, you're familiar with the, the idea of betas, alphas. Uh, you know, those. it's always a smaller populace that, that go in, test it, make sure they're, you know, see if there's any bugs, find out the kinks and the bugs in the system, get those ironed out, and then you release it to the the, the populace, the, the the greater populace. Same thing here. It's just, this is a software, a, a, a uh, practice that they use, you, you quality control. The people over at Veritas, James O'Keefe and his team, uh, reached out to Facebook for a comment. Uh, one of their spokespeople, uh, their top spokespeople, said that uh, he, he sent a brief and broad statement in reply saying that uh, they failed to address the investigative outlet's biggest questions regarding transparency. Uh, O'Keefe went on to say, I really wonder how Mark Zuckerberg will be able to defend this. Uh, he said at his own press release on Monday, his own employees are coming to Project Veritas because they can't stand the wrongdoing that they are witnessing at their workplace. I wouldn't be able to stand it either. I would either go to these people and tell them what I know and take them hard evidence or I would walk. That's all there is to it. I mean, it's that, that's all I would do. I couldn't consciously sit there and do that. I, I couldn't do it. And and in the in the video of the interview, there's a whole nine minute interview. We posted it up on our Telegram channel. If you haven't seen it, go give it a watch. The whole nine minute interview, these whistleblowers, which that's what they are. These whistleblowers are sitting there saying, we have children. What kind of world are we building for them? What what are we doing? This is not the world I want my kids to grow up in. Oh, you're, you, you no, get it comrade. now. Yeah, you no, get no, it comrade. now. No, see, comrade, we're, we're, we're creating a better, more just society, more inclusive. equitable, inclusive. Yes. A more fair world. Yeah. All right. We got a little bit of time here left. So, uh, yeah, speaking of uh, vaccine hesitancy, well, nobody's been a bigger advocate of COVID-19 vaccines than Dr. Anthony Fauci, right? True. He came out this week, just a couple of days ago, and said something extremely shocking. At least from my standpoint, it was extremely shocking. He seems to think that this thing came from a lab now. Why the change oh, of heart? That's uh, 
Well, that's a conspiracy theory. I, 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 where, where is he getting that idea? We, we well, were all told that this was wrong, and like, yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was wrong. Well, to be honest with you, it was all Trump's fault. Uh, that that whole lab leak, that that was all yes. Trump's fault. Uh, I have that audio from CNN this morning. We'll play that in just a second. But I want to get to the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci. This is him explaining the whole lab leak and everything. He, he just all a misunderstanding, right? It's all a misunderstanding. He now believes that this was it could have been. Uh, from a lab. So let's listen to this. The people who've investigated say it likely was the emergence from an animal reservoir that then infected individuals, but it could have been something else. You know, that's the reason why I said I'm perfectly in favor of any investigation that looks into the origin of the virus. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, I. Th- that's the point that I said. And I, and I think the real um, unfortunate aspect of what Senator Paul did is he was conflating research in a collaborative way with oh, Chinese con- uh, scientists because SARS-CoV-1 uh, clearly originated in China, and we were fortunate to escape a major pandemic. So we really had to learn a lot more about the viruses that were there. So in a very minor collaboration as part of a subcontract of a grant, we had a collaboration with some Chinese com- uh, Chinese uh, oh, scientists. So I'm sorry, a Chinese who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who? Who was that? Ch- uh-huh. what, what was that? Uh-huh. I'm sorry, you had a, you had a small collaboration with uh, with who? Collaboration with some Chinese com- uh, Chinese uh, oh. scientists. <laughs> some yeah, some, oh. oh, some some Chinese scientists. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh huh. He fully knew who they were getting in bed with. They knew. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I, I have difficulty uh, at this point believing that they didn't have malintent, honestly. In, in the beginning, I was giving them somewhat like maybe it was incompetence. Maybe it was a time bomb that they were hoping, you know, it was they were giving a, a country, you know, a ticking time bomb. Maybe. But you know what? I, I went back this morning and we're starting to see reports now of supposed lab workers that went to the hospital back in November. We're starting to see that. And I remember... Uh, if we remember Dr. Lee from back then, the, the doctor that first was told, hey, wait a minute, uh, there, there's patients that are coming in here uh, and they've got this pneumonia SARS like thing going on. So we need to figure out what's going on here. But then there were cases that supposedly and we heard this last year, there were cases that supposedly were noticed back in September of that year. So, I mean, I've heard October, I've heard September, nothing prior to September. September's the the earliest that I heard anything about it. But I went back and I looked at, the, at I looked at the official timeline. I'm doing the air quotes. The official timeline this morning, and I thought, let me let me go back and let me re, re-examine this. And I listened to some of our podcasts that we did back then too, and we we were right on the mark with it. I went back and I and I reviewed the official timeline, and the official timeline was December 31st, 2019. There were a total of 27 suspected cases in Wuhan. Okay, so I, I went back and I, I pulled. This is the official timeline according to. The mainstream media outlets. The WHO in China, their office there, was informed about cases of pneumonia of unknown cause detected in Wuhan City, which was in Hubei province in China. 27 suspected cases were reported in the month of December. What happened two weeks prior to that? Two weeks prior to that, you had a landslide victory in the UK of Boris Johnson. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and talk conspiracies or any of the rest of that, but you had an unprecedented political realignment in the UK. They fought for four and a half years to keep the UK in the European project. The Brits wanted to go. 
They wanted to leave. I don't blame them. The U.S. was breaking away from that system with the election of Donald Trump. Hell, we were supposed to break away from it with Barack Obama, but you see what a disappointment that turned out to be. We had the wool pulled over our eyes back in 2008. The Brits had the wool pulled over their eyes in 2019. But my point is, is that the Dutch were the next ones out the door. Then it would have been the French. Then it would have been the Italians. Well, it could have been the Italians. You can't keep the European project together with all those countries wanting to leave. The populist movement was gaining too much steam. This is just my opinion. It's pure speculation. But I find it extremely coincidental that all of a sudden you had these movements and, and you couldn't have a re-election of Donald Trump. If you wouldn't have had COVID, you would have had Trump round two. The populist movement would have gotten even bigger and it would have accelerated the collapse of the EU. Now they're on self-destruct. But my point is, is that this seems awful convenient. The people that voted in the UK general election, I, I watched it. We talked about it here. I saw the, the media out there interviewing people, people that had been Labor voters, which is the I mean, that's the working class in in the UK. They've been labor voters all the way back to the time that their great grandfathers were labor voters. And they flipped. They sat in those polls for 20 minutes staring at their ballots, wondering if they were doing the right thing for themselves and their families and their country. My personal opinion, again, my personal opinion, pure speculation. When you had that happen, I think the party at Davos at that point, I think they had enough and they weren't going to see that happen again. So we gave them a one-two punch. We were able to stand up and we were able to hit them in an area that they can't control, and that's at the ballot box. Well, now they have control of that ballot box, don't they? If you didn't have all of these COVID regulations in place in the in America, they wouldn't have been able to pull any of the stuff off. Again, I was looking at the official timeline and I, and I ran across this and I thought, when did that first case pop up in China? When did that happen? And then I thought, okay, and I don't even know why I thought this, but but I just did. And I thought, when was the UK general election? I remember I watched it and it was about the time that that outbreak was starting to pop up. And it just seems very coincidental, in my opinion. I, I'm not I'm not connecting dots. I'm, I'm not I'm not doing anything. I'm not go wearing tinfoil hats or anything like that. But you had a movement, a populist movement that was building that was going to dynamite this entire fiasco that these elites have spent decades creating. And now all of a sudden, oh, we're all in this together. We need covid passports. We all have to have global IDs. Just one man's opinion. So to add a little bit of data to your to your idea there. In December, you were you, you pointed out that 27 cases of pneumonia triggered by an unknown virus. That is according. Happened. Yes, that is according. This is the official right. timeline that's put out by I, I just pulled right. it from the Daily Mail, but they've got two or three other sources that are reporting about the same thing. So, all right. So it, with the trends that we know of now, for someone to be hospitalized, the chances of hospitalization with COVID-19 currently is 2%. So 2% of all the people that get COVID are hospitalized. All right. So you have 27 people. That means 2% of the people that were actively infected at the time. That means in the range of 1,500 people were infected at that time period, at least that many based on those numbers. That would be active cases. Two weeks, you're relatively over it within two weeks, generally speaking. So it had to have been circulating for a few weeks to get to that it, well, really, a few months, probably. If you start out with two people, you know, they're spreading it to, a, well, if, if the R not is five, that means you're, you're spreading it to five people effectively. Um, even at that rate, you're still, it, it would still take you a while um, to, to get to that point. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a little bit of credence there. The, the, at least 
at least uh, going back to September, it would, it would make sense. Even if you had a case in September and required hospitalization, that still means that's that's 2%. That still means that there's a few hundred people that have probably already had it. So, yeah, we, we don't really know how long this was circulating necessarily. Well, the other thing that was floating around at that time, of course, we were all called crazy kooks and conspiracy theorists. Uh, hey, uh, is it possible that the country's only P4 lab, which happens to do research on SARS viruses and coronaviruses, is it entirely possible that that could have come from there instead of a seafood market? Well, it was clear what the problem was. And it's all been cleared up. CNN put the record straight this morning. It was all Trump's fault. All of that. It, it was all Trump's fault. The whole lab thing, that, that was all Trump's fault. The lab leak theory, that was all Trump's fault. Everything was Trump's fault. Of course, there were those of us that were saying it long before President Trump was, and we were called nuts and tinfoil hat wearers, and we didn't know what we were talking about. And when we tried to tell people that we knew that were concerned, they didn't want to hear any crazy conspiracy theories or anything like that. Now it's all over the media and not as a conspiracy theory. You just heard the saint, the Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, uh, no, I don't think that this developed naturally. He himself, the man who actually funded all of this and developed that gain of function research with Francis Collins and Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance, and all that grant money from American academia and all the rest of it. Uh, but CNN has cleared all this up. This, this is what they said about it this morning. Again, this is all Trump's fault. And I'm not saying that. CNN's saying that. This matters. Understanding where coronavirus and how the pandemic began matters. A lot of the discussion about the lab leak, I think, was clouded early on because there was the suggestion by some that it was somehow a Chinese weapon that, that caused this. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a lab accident. But we've come a long way from people dismissing this as a conspiracy theory to a lot of people taking this seriously, Maggie. Uh, okay, first of all, before we get to her response, where he says, that's not what we're talking about here, a, a biological weapon, that's not what we're talking about here. Oh, yes, it is. That's what we're talking about here. And the reason I say that is because gain of function in the way that it was used this time for this particular virus makes it a weapon. Or am I incorrect? No, I, I would agree with how you worded it there. Uh, absolutely. Because gain of function doesn't, uh, the research isn't necessarily weaponizing something. But in this case, they took SARS and made it more virulent. So yeah, that, that that's effectively weaponizing it. Though to our benefit on the side, at least from what we know on the surface, at least right now, it made it less fatal, you know, because SARS-1 had a like a uh, 15% fatality rate and 50% when you got up at 65 and older. So, I mean, th that would have been horrible. We would have seen pretty draconian measures uh, with the virus like that. Uh, if this isn't draconian, <laughs> what is? Yeah. Well, well, I meant we would have oh, seen like it North, rightfully North so. Korea bathhouse yeah. kind of. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. Potentially, Th those, yeah. Those type of vaccinations. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, here's her response. We have, John, and look, I do think it's important to remember that part of the issue when this was first being reported on and discussed back a few months after the pandemic had begun was that then-President Trump and Mike Pompeo, uh, the uh, Secretary of State, both suggested they had seen evidence that this was formed in a lab, and they also suggested it was not released on purpose, but they 
refused to release the evidence showing what it was. And so because of that, that made this instantly political. I think that it was, you know, example 1000 when the Trump administration learned that when you have burned your own credibility over and over again, people are not immediately going to believe you, especially in an election year. However, that does not mean it's not worth discussing. There has been a sort of persistent, albeit relatively quiet, focus on whether that was the origin of the virus. And it is compounded by the fact that uh, there are, have not been clear answers from Chinese officials about it and that investigators trying to find out the origin have been stymied. So I do think we're in a different period of this, John. But I also think it's important to remember because I think it's getting reframed in a way that's just not true to what happened. I don't mean here. I right. mean in this, this broader debate by Trump supporters about what right. happened when this was originally raised. I think a lot of people want just answers at this point, and it is important. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Now, uh, you were saying there, Bruce, I, I, I didn't catch all that in, in the beginning of what you were saying there. Uh, yeah. So we pointed all that stuff out with the white papers that were talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, what was it? Uh, Eco Health Alliance, I believe, is what the organization yep. was called that we that yep. money was sent to. So our government not only sent the money there, which, by the way, I, I want to point out again, Obama, Obama stopped this, uh, you know, from from continuing and in, in, in going into China. And then uh, Fauci decided he's going to reinstate it and do it anyway under the radar and did it anyway. So they should be held accountable. Yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, this was a th this was a, somebody that uh, had no credibility and, and especially during an election year. I mean, you, you don't you know, you, you don't want to be tossing around, uh, you know, false information and things like that without without releasing any information after making those those baseless accusations. People wonder why no one watches that. Th that pains me to hear that stuff. And the worst part is, is that there are people out there, albeit a very small minority, if you look at their ratings, it's terrible. Don Lemon shows actually getting canceled because wow. they just it, it's being renamed. It's being renamed. Yeah, it's not being canceled. It's just being renamed to what? I really have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just going to sit up here in front of a camera and talk to Chris Cuomo. Actually, why don't they start a show together? It might actually boost uh, both it, of their ratings. Yeah, it, uh, a bit of an inside joke, but uh, wet lemon. Wet, <laughs> <laughs> wet lemon, yeah. But no, I, the, the network itself, it, it, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. With comments like that, you call that journalism? You call that reporting? How about yeah. you yourself as a supposed journalist? How about this? And, and I'm not a journalist. Bruce is not a journalist. I'm not a broadcaster. We're, we're just people. We can sit here. I don't give a damn what Jeff Zucker says to his employees. If I'm a supposed journalist, I'm doing my job. And if the network fires me, then they fire me. I'll go somewhere else. You going to fire me for doing my job? Go ahead. I'll sue you on my way out the door. But you're not even going to go and you're not even going to look up for yourself where it came from. I don't care what Donald Trump says president or not. I don't care. I don't care what Fauci says. Director of the NIH ID. I don't care. I'm going to go look for myself. That's what we did. And we told you about that months before even the president himself said that. Now, I'm not yanking our own chain here. We weren't the only ones saying that. There were other organizations saying it, albeit very few. We were taking an enormous amount of risk to our own credibility coming out saying that stuff. And to be quite frank, I'm, I'm glad we were right. <laughs> Agreed. But uh, but at the time, we, we weren't wrong. It was just a matter of how long it was going to take the mainstream to catch up. But that was the point. That was the point. We knew what it would take when we started this podcast to be able to be a step above what people see on the television and in, and in the newspapers. I told GP in the early days, I said, we all know what the headlines are supposed to be, but they're not doing them. They're, they're not doing them. They're, they're, they're distracting everyone. They're lying to everybody. So we're just going to have to do it ourselves. We spent hours, days 
putting all that stuff together and connecting all those pieces and, and all the rest of it, making sure it was the correct information. These people can't even be bothered. I mean, hell, that information right now, this day and age, right now, 18 months later, that information's on tap. You can go and get it anywhere now. 18 months ago, that was very, very scarce and very difficult information to get your hands on that you could verify. But we did it. And these people can't even spend five minutes, 10 minutes of their actual professions, said professions, to go and do a little bit of research and to decide whether or not that that's something you want to report on to the American people and to the world. You're a disgrace. You're you're an absolute disgrace. You don't even deserve the time we play clips of you on here. But it's just to show how out of touch they really are. It's on principle. Nothing more. Yeah, just kind of a final point there. The mainstream media, especially with the wallets that they have to fund research into this or investigations into this, we should be out of a job, if you will. We, we should have nothing to talk about because they're going over everything and doing the, the proper investigative work. I wish but instead, they're not. I wish we had a tenth of that money, by the way, just for doing research yeah, and be, having access to nice. different information sources. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it, it seems like we're doing their job for them, basically. Because they're not unwilling to look into the, 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 the numbers, the, the research papers, the, the actual information that's out there. And this is this is the problem that we run into. All the information that we're getting is publicly available. We're not able to do investigations on things like, you know, uh, get uh, FOIA requests or, you know, those kind of things. Like we're too small of a group to do something like that. And we actually get actual document, document. We actually could get we could do FOIA requests, but that takes a lot of time uh, and it takes a, a lot of stuff to do. I mean, if you if you yeah, time want and money and yeah. Just, yeah, you can you can get it. But it's it, but it's as you said. It's it's all information that's publicly available. If this stuff was yeah. if this stuff was classified, I wouldn't talk on that at all. Yeah, I, I wouldn't exactly. do anything with that. Absolutely not. I, I'm not going to do anything like that. All the information that's out there, we make sure that it is publicly available, so we can tell you, yeah. the listener, where to go, so you can find it for yourself. We told you last week when we talked on the funding, the connection of, uh, between Fauci Eco Health Alliance and the Wuhan lab. We told you exactly where you could go to find that information. You have to be able to do that this day and age. You have to be able to verify it yourself. Don't take our word for it. Don't ever do that. Don't ever take anybody on the TV's word for it. Do it yourself. Form your own opinion. If you find that we're wrong, email us. Tell us. Tell us we're wrong. We will make the correction. Don't just tell us. Don't just tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're show wrong us. and show us why we're wrong and give us the data. Give us the information as to why it is not. Don't just give me, you know, don't don't send a, an email to me saying that you're wrong because I disagree with your idea. Well, uh, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't respond to that. But oh, I might actually I, I might <laughs> respond to that. But you may not like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the ones that you get sometimes. And it's like, what do you think of this? And it's like an hour and a half long YouTube video. We don't have time for that. Thank you for pointing it out. But timestamp it or something. But we really don't have time for that. Like we're spending hours and hours and hours digging through stuff here. And it's it's really, really difficult to even cover the stuff that we do uh, every day. But it's and to be honest with you, we could do a podcast that's two or three times longer than this with all the stuff we've got. But mm -hmm. we have to pick out what we think is the best. And we have to compress it down. Uh, that's that's the best we can do with like show prep and stuff. So, I mean, it's it's pretty difficult. But anyway, uh, anything else you got on that? 
No, uh, I did just kind of adding a little bit more, you know, behind the scenes thing. What you were talking about there with the, the video, I, there was actually one of the videos I remember that we were recommended that was like an hour and a half long. And I do remember going in and actually watching that. And I'm like, there's not, this is all stuff that we've been talking about in some way or another. And this is the parts that eh, we, we can't back it. So we, we haven't talked about it, but more or less, you know, we've been going on stuff. If we can find factual evidence on it, we'll talk about it. Uh, so, for example, we're not going to bring up the um, Pizzagate. We might bring it up in Justin and joking, uh, you know, to, to mock it. But there's no information, no data, no no proof that it ever was a thing. So I forgot about Pizzagate. We don't, yeah, the, they ended up having the one guy went in and was armed and was asking about the basement. And they're like, we don't even have a basement. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And turn himself into the police. Yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. We didn't even get a chance to play the uh, the reporter that was talking about police reform outside of the uh, the George Floyd autonomous zone. We didn't get a chance to play that. We'll have to do it tomorrow. We'll have to go over that one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to do it tomorrow. That's some good audio, by the way. All right. For those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel, get over there, get signed up to us. We put out all of our podcasts we do here every day, and we also put it on an exclusive podcast just to our Telegram subscribers once a week. So you can find us at t.me slash dynamic INDP from any web browser if you want to recommend us. Get signed up to us over there. Also, you can reach out to us anytime you wish by dropping us an email. No hour and a half long videos, please. At tips at dynamicindependence.com. And no, no angry emails to Bruce either. I, I welcome them. You welcome the angry emails? Yeah. You just might get an angry Bruce response. So yeah, just be yeah. Warm. he'll beat you over the head with a book of Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> and we would also ask you to pass this along to friends, family, known associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we'd appreciate that. We're available everywhere you get your podcast. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, that would be fantastic as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you for being here today, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.